Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Hey, welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor, and we're so glad you can join us today from wherever you're watching or listening from. If it's your first time joining us, man, hey, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click I'm new. If you fill out that short form online for us, man, as a way of saying thank you, we're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that is listed. How many of you guys like uh, just just a really good story? I, I was I was a voracious reader as a kid, and, and I read book after book on just all kinds of topics, fiction, nonfiction, didn't really matter. And, and that love of story really carried over as I got older, like into film. And because even if you're not a reader, like I bet you like movies, right? And, and, and what are movies? Well, they're tools that tell a story from a visual perspective, correct? So now all these different types of genres of stories and films that are out there, my favorites are the ones that have you on the edge of your seat. You know what they are. They're the thrillers, the suspense films that kind of have an ending or plot line that you didn't quite see coming. Uh, Something which just goes against the narrative and leaves you in a state of shock. I think those are just the best. Jesus was a fantastic storyteller. And to be fair, like he walked the earth in an era where storytelling wasn't really just an art form. It was vital to your way of life. Like the majority of folks couldn't read, they couldn't write. So they depended on stories and, and depended on stories with, with intricate and accurate details to relay information from one generation to the next. But they also depend on stories to teach concepts that were difficult to grasp and to understand or to get a point across, perhaps in a subtle manner that might go over the heads of certain groups of people, but send a direct message to another group, almost like a, a passive aggressive swing if you will. So the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they they tell the story in the life of Jesus, and they contain all kinds of stories that he told. Luke in particular, it contains 24 of these stories, more than any other Gospel. 18 of those 24 are found nowhere else but Luke. So a lot of his stories are unique, right? Now there's one story in particular which Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15 and it's gained all kinds of notoriety and it's called the story of the prodigal son. So if you've grown up in church or you spent a good amount of time in church, you might think that you know this story inside out. There's, there isn't as much there for you to learn from, you know, but I think over the next few weeks as we jump into this story and kind of do a little bit of a deep dive, you're going to be surprised because this unique story that Jesus tells as a, a way of being very impactful for longtime Christians, but also for people who maybe haven't put that label on there yet. They wouldn't even say that they believe in God yet. And so over the next few weeks, we're, we're going to take this deep dive into this famous story. And I'm telling you, it's going to cut both ways here. The thing about Jesus is he had a way of challenging each and every person, no matter, no matter who they were. But one thing is certain about his teachings, including in this story, that no matter how far from God you might find yourself today, even if you at one time considered yourself a Christian, right? It's never too late to come home again. Let's start with a story. Now, it's, it's a little lengthy here, so hang with me. We're going to start reading it. Luke chapter 15, verse number 11. To illustrate the point further, what point is Jesus illustrating? He's actually just told two stories, one about a sheep, one about a coin, of something being lost and then something being found, okay? So to illustrate that point further, he tells them the story. A man had two sons, and the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth 
wealth between his sons. Now this is really outrageous. I gotta tell you that, just stop for a second. Like we, we, we don't live in first century Israel, so the effect that it, that it doesn't really have the same on us today as it did back then, but I, I bet you could hear audible gasps when he talked about the son's attitude here. Because keep in mind, the people in Jesus' day, you know, they, they, they had as the word of God the Old Testament, the first five books, the Pentateuch. It governed everyday life for the Jews. And, and that makes a book like Deuteronomy really important. So Deuteronomy 21 explains that a son who doesn't obey, or in this case, you know, honor their father is actually worthy of death. I know that sounds really harsh, but you know, the culture of the Middle East is based on a shame and honor system. And it is much more powerful and impactful than than this guilt-innocence paradigm that we have here in, in the West. And the fact is, this son um, should have been turned over to the town's elders, and he's not. That was shocking in and of itself just to the crowd. One more thing real quick. The wealth was tied to the land. So the Greek word here for estate is actually the, the word for life in English. So the idea is that you're a part of the land. The land isn't actually part of you. And that's not a concept most of us would recognize today unless you have family land that you've owned for generations. So my wife's family is, is like that. She would tell you in a heartbeat uh, that she agreed to that sentiment. That you are part of the land. So the younger uh, son here is asking his father to literally just, just tear his life apart by selling what be maybe about a third of, of the estate, the inheritance, so he could gain his share of the family wealth. Now look at verse number 13. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings up. He moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all of his money in a wild living. <laughs> Who could have seen that coming, right? About that time his money ran out, though, a great famine swept over the land. He began to starve. So he persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and, he, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, okay? But no one gave him anything. Verse 17, when he finally came to his senses. He said to himself, you know, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am, and I'm dying of hunger. I'm going to go home to my father, and I will say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Take me on as, as a slave, really, right? So verse number 20, so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, and he embraced him and he kissed him and his son said to him father I've sinned against both heaven and you and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son now the father sees him coming home I, that's always caught my attention I think it's a powerful point to the story. It, it gives credence to the idea that the father is looking for a son, waiting for the day he would return. And when he saw him, man, he ran. I, you know, the dignified elder of the family would not dare run back in those days, man. They, they walked in a very stately, esteemed, honorable kind of manner. You didn't run, and you sure didn't lift up the robes that showed your legs either. Like this dad will break every cultural norm to welcome back his son. The crowd would not have understood this. It would have been very shocking to them, and they would have been wondering what in the world is, is, is going to happen next. But this is a great, powerful picture of God's love and forgiveness and how He restores people. Verse 22. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet, kill the calf that we've been fattening. We have to celebrate with a feast for this son of mine. He was dead, and now he's returned to life. He was lost, 
but now he's found. And so the party began. So, you know, the younger son's actions here, they, they made him dead to his family, but also to his community. The fact the father takes him back is, is incredibly shocking. Nobody would have done this in Jesus' day. I really want you to kind of grasp that if you can. Verse 25, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard music and he heard dancing in the house. And he asked, you know, one of the servants, hey, what, what, what's, what's going on? Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf, and we're celebrating because of his safe return. Verse 28, the older brother was angry, and he wouldn't go in. So this refusal is a no-confidence vote in his father. It's very embarrassing for the father in this story, okay? His father came out and begged him. And he replied, all these years I have slaved for you. Never once have you refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And all that time, you didn't give me one goat for a feast of my friends. And yet when this son of yours, notice it's not my brother, right? It's your son. When he comes back after squandering money on prostitutes, like you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. Like, like he gets it. He knows, man. At the younger brother, he's home again. He's a son again. That means a third of what is now a smaller inheritance is going to be his again, all because of his actions. The older brother is angry, and he, he sees injustice, right? His father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead, and he's come back to life. He was lost, and now he's found. And just as the crowd is on the edge of their seats, listening to what's going to happen next, Jesus ends the story. And, and the real reason, I think, is, is as to why he ends it is because the story is open-ended. We don't know how it's going to end yet because it's actually directed at the Pharisees and the religious folks in the crowd. He's pleading with them to respond to his message, to the gospel, and he's showing deep love for them. But how they respond to that is really going to be up to them. You know, Jesus had a bad rap among the religious in his day. Whenever he taught, wherever he went, there was always large crowds of folks who would gather around, they'd press in, wanting to hear what he had to say. And he would show mercy to people who were regarded as deep sinners. And he would go to dinner parties and hang out with the types of people considered to be, you know, like the low lives in, in society. It was all very confusing to people like the Pharisees who, who would have thought, and really kind of rightly so, given what they believed, that somebody, as in touch with God and Jesus, should be hanging out with them. Like the Pharisees were not just simply offended. They were outraged at this kind of you know, behavior that Jesus showed. And it just so happens that they're in the crowd here in Luke 15, which largely consists of people who are actually far from God. And so Jesus tells a story about a lost sheep, tells a story about a lost coin, and how excited heaven gets when someone who we might call a sinner turns from their ways, you know, and seeks God's forgiveness. Oh, what those Pharisees, man. <laughs> they had a hard time with it. So why tell a third story about a lost son? It's already told two shorter stories about lost things. Why a third one? Because this one's different. This one's aimed squarely at the Pharisees themselves. Now, if you're not familiar with who the Pharisees were, they, they were the religious leaders of the day. Okay, we'll kind of leave it at that. Uh, they, they were the good guys. They were the guys you wanted your kids to grow up to be like. They knew God's word by memory. They taught it. They modeled it. They were, at least you know, externally on the outside, just pristine from a moral perspective, right? But their hearts were in the wrong place. The Pharisees are the older brother in the story. They represent 
you know, the type of religious person who rides that high horse of morality. They believe in creating a world where every person lived according to this impossible high standards that they set. Notice I didn't say that God set. That's because the Pharisees actually added hundreds of extra standards to what God had already set in place. So they, they had their own version of morality they wanted you to live up to. And since nobody's perfect and you're bound to fall into sin at some point, even the Pharisees, they believed that you should be judged by just how intense your regret for your wrong was and, and how you make amends for your wrong. And so in this way, even in your failures, you never really quite measure up. You're always going to fall pretty short. Now, the younger brother in the story, it's the person who's just far from God, who embraces the idea that you create your own truth, right? I create my own truth, you create yours. There's not really any absolutes that are out there. You're free to do what you want to do. I'm free to do what I want to do. And, and nobody has the right to tell me how I should live my own life. That's, that's really who the younger brother kind of is in this story in a very just simplistic way. Uh, those two groups, by the way, the younger brother and the older brother, they form a strong division that I think we even see in our world today. You know, because on the one hand, and you have older brothers that are out there and they say, hey, you know what? The, the problem we have here in America is we have all these people who want to do their own thing and not abide by the traditions and the rules and the right way to live. And then you have all the younger brothers who are like, nah, man, it's all those closed-minded people who say, you know, they hold on to the right way to live and they hold all the absolute truths. Like, they're the problem and they're in the way, stop me, I've heard this one before, of progress, right? Yeah. So each side thinks they're right, and each side has a good many who believe that if you're not like for them, you're certainly against them. You know, you can't be neutral because you know you, you have to pick. But the reality is, I think most people in our world are somewhere in between the two. There are older brothers who, despite their high morals, they have a younger brother lifestyle that few people know about. And there's younger brothers who, who boast in all their personal freedoms and condone people like Christians, right? As if they're the worst people on the planet. But in doing so, they actually display their own closed-minded viewpoints. And Jesus' message in the story is that both sons are wrong. There's actually two lost sons. Both sons are lost. And yet both sons are welcomed by the father to join his celebration at the end of the story. Both brothers wanted to make their own decisions and carve out their own paths. The younger brother wanted to run his own life, and he did it with a bold move that shattered all the cultural norms of his day. The older brother, he really wants to do the same thing, but it's just not as obvious. He stays and works for his father. He never disobeys him. And, and, and that's really his way to try and exert control. Hey, I've never disobeyed you, Dad, right? So you owe me. Now, the older brother, he's, he's very self-disciplined here. He's obedient. He's, he's everything you want in a son. And he's really everything you'd expect in a follower of Jesus, right? But, but his sin isn't wild living like the younger brother. His sin is actually in his moral pride. He feels dad owes him because he's been the good kid, the perfect kid, the moral kid. He's, he's worked hard, right? So surely, you know, I, I'm deserving of, of something here. Neither son loved the father for himself but instead wanted to use the Father as a means to their end. And here's what that tells me today. You can rebel against God by both breaking His standards, breaking the rules, right? But also by diligently keeping them. And that's probably one of the most shocking parts of the story. Because what Jesus has done in showing that both sons are lost, He's kind of turned the idea of sin upside down. 
So most people think sin is failing to keep God's standards, right? Romans 3.23 says everybody has sinned. Everyone's fallen short of God's standard. But Jesus' definition goes further. There's an accepted idea among people that, you know, like, hey, if I'm a good person, I'm a moral person. If I do all the right things, I'll be fine. God will honor me. God will answer my prayers. God will, in effect, you know, owe me. Very few people would actually talk like that, right? But plenty of people, plenty of Christians live that way. And this is the attitude of the older brother. It's an attitude that says, man, I don't need a savior to forgive my sins. By grace, I did nothing to deserve or, or, or to earn. Older brothers who are very moral, often very religious type people, they have as an unspoken goal to get a, a leverage over God because they think that God owes them for their kingdom work, for their good behavior, for their upstanding moral living, or for their obedience. And the problem with this kind of attitude is that if you live this way, Jesus can be your helper, and He can be your example, and He can be your inspiration, but He can't really be your Savior because you're actually working hard to serve as your own savior. So older brothers obey God, you know, really to get things, not to get God himself, not to resemble God himself, not to really get to know him. It's about what God can do for them. And religious and moral people, they, they really tend to avoid Jesus as their savior, just as much as the younger brother who might even deny God's very existence and define right and wrong for themselves. So herein lies what I think is, is Jesus' radical definition of, of, of sin. And it comes from this story. You know, I mean, every, everyone thinks that sin, again, is breaking the rules. But the prodigal shows you you can keep all the rules and you can still be in sin. Why? Because sin isn't just breaking the rules. It's putting yourself in place of God as Savior and Lord and Judge. You know, there's, there's two ways you can be your own savior. You can break all the rules and chart your own course to try to save yourself, or you can keep all the rules, but depend on your own morals, right? You're, you're, it's, it's your own high morality and your own pride that's kind of keeping you in the direction you need to go in. And so this story shows there's not a division between good guys and bad guys. Actually, all of us are dedicated to saving ourselves, and we've all come up short, like Romans 3 says. But even though both sons were lost, they were still left by their father, and they were given an invitation to join him in his celebration. The message of Jesus isn't a message of religion and irreligion or morality or immorality or conservative or liberal, like it's something else entirely different. His message is that everybody's wrong, everybody's loved, and everybody is invited to both recognize this and, this is very important, and change. So older brothers think that, hey, you know, good people like us, we're in. You know, those who are bad, they're out. And younger brothers do the same thing. The open-minded people are in, and the closed-minded bigots are out, you know. But in Luke 18, 14, Jesus actually alludes to this fact, that the humble are in, and the proud are out. It's those who confess they aren't good, they aren't open-minded, they don't measure up, they don't love, that they're, that they're not, you know, quite cutting it. They're the ones who are moving towards God. But if you think you're fine, <laughs> well... Psalm 138.6 says this, that though the Lord is great, He cares for who? He cares for the humble, and He keeps His distance from the proud. And while both sons were lost, only one of them was in what we could really call a truly dangerous place to be in. 
See, the younger brother knew he was lost. He knew he had gone too far. He knew he wasn't worthy of being a son, of even coming home again. And that's really a safe place to be because humility is, is, is keeping you in check there. Like you, you have some self-awareness. You get it. But the older brother, he was blind to his true spiritual condition. He never disobeyed his father. He, he worked hard all those years for him. Hey, I know God's word. I quote scripture. I'm at church every chance I get. I serve. I give. I do all the things I'm told to do. And to that end, Jesus would actually say that's really good, but it doesn't matter because your heart is the real problem here. Now, I wonder today just, just how many of you would be honest enough, whether you're watching or listening from, just to say, I, I got a heart issue. You know, my, my spirit's not right. Maybe you're the quintessential Christian. You serve well, you give, you know, all the right things to say and all the right things to do. People have believed you're a strong follower of Jesus and you've been that way for years. But you know you have an older brother spirit. Like you're frustrated at God at times because it feels like he owes you, doesn't it? Like you've done so much for him. You've given up so much. He owes you that miracle. He owes you that healing. He, he owes you the breakthrough or that opportunity. Could it be that your relationship with Jesus has been a facade all this time and you've really only been interested, if you're honest with yourself here, in what you can get from God? You look at other people who aren't living like you, you don't understand, you get angry, you get frustrated, you feel like the whole world and the church included has kind of gone, gone to hell, right? You have an older brother's spirit. And I would say to you, hey, don't refuse the invitation that your father is extending to you. God can forgive you. He loves you. He wants you with him. But you have to swallow your pride, get off that high horse of yours, and you have to come home again. Or maybe you're the younger brother. Maybe you're lost and you know it. You've been trying to figure out your way in this world for quite some time. You don't know your purpose. But you're looking for it. You're being pulled in a lot of different directions. And the lines between what's right and what's wrong, they're kind of blurred for you. Maybe you've had no experience with God or church. Maybe you've had enough to know that you, you don't really deserve forgiveness. I've had people tell me, Pastor, I can never accept God's forgiveness for my life. I deserve hell for all the things that I've done. Well, well, yeah, that's true. You know what? We all do. But the good news is this. That despite all of that, God's love and forgiveness is so great, He covers every wrong. And so maybe nobody else can bring themselves to forgive you, but God can and God will. He's the, doing the same thing to you as he's done to the older brothers, man. He's extending the invitation out to you, and he's calling you to come home. And the question is, how will you answer? Let me pray for you here today. Lord, I thank you for those who are watching and listening right now. If there are any folks out there who might say, you know what, I'm a younger brother, and I know I'm lost, and I know I need Jesus today. I, I pray for those folks especially. In fact, if that is you, and you would say, that's who I am, would you follow this prayer along with me? I'm going to model what it will sound like and be like. You say it in your own words, but it's going to go something like this. Lord, I'm sorry for the sins that I've done. God, can you forgive me for my, my sins? I, I've messed up. I've violated your standards. I am the younger brother. I know I am lost. I know I've not cut it out. Uh, to, to, I've been charting my own course. It's not working. Jesus, I need you to forgive me. I need you to forgive me, but I need you to save me. I can't save myself. I need you to save me today. I, I need you to set me free. I need you to, to start something brand new and fresh in my life. Can you save me from my sins? 
and going forward from, from today on, I'm not going to call the shots anymore. I'm not going to live for myself. I'm going to live for you. I want to follow you. I want to listen to you. I want to obey you. I want to I wanna do your will. Will you lead me? And will you guide me? And that's called making him our Savior and our Lord. And for the older brothers who are out there, Lord, who they know better. But they have this spirit of resentment. They have this spirit of anger. They feel you owe them. They've been working hard for you. Taking a lot of pride in their works, a lot of pride in their knowledge, a lot of pride in all their morality. But they're still coming up short because they have a heart problem. And if that's you today, I pray that you are aware enough to realize there's a heart issue. Now is a great time to ask God to forgive you. Lord, I pray you'd forgive those who are saying, God, I'm an older brother spirit, and I need your forgiveness. I need you to cleanse me, and I need to set things right again. I need to do this the right way. Fix my heart. Change me. I don't want to be my own savior. I can't save myself. My works can't save me. My, 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 my high morals can't save me. All the knowledge I have can't save me, Lord. I, only you can do that. And from this day forward, I, I'm not taking pride in me anymore. And I'm not working hard for you just to try to gain entrance into heaven. Lord, no, from this day forward, I'm, I'm serving you. I'm living for you. I want you to lead me. I want you to guide me. Lord, I thank you for those who are watching and listening today that have, have the honesty to say, I need Jesus. I'm lost. I have a heart issue. I, I need him to cleanse me and forgive me and Help me to start over again. Thank you for those who are honest enough to say that. I pray you'd bless them where they're at. And I thank you, Lord, for your son who came and gave himself up for us so we could be free from sin, from death, and from darkness. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.